0: Welcome to this production of Source Wellness's The Intersection podcast. Every month, Source Wellness co founders Jacob Aqua and Marshall Coop Gamore dive deep into the intersection of DEIMW, diversity, equity, inclusion, mindfulness, and wellness for the purpose of cultivating human centered cultures of well being within corporations and nonprofits.
1: We host discussions with subject matter experts in order to explore how each of these five components work together to cultivate a sense of well-being, inclusion, and equity in company culture. These discussions are held live for the public in webinar format and are repurposed for this podcast. If you're interested in attending these live webinars, click the link in our bio to our LinkedIn page where you can register for our next monthly webinar. In this discussion, we hosted an amazing webinar with Nasia
0: Smith titled, What is D-E-I-M-W? Nasia led a short mindfulness practice, discussed D-E-I-M-W and what that meant to her, brought to light the ways that individuals and organizations can implement D-E-I-M-W, mentioned imposter syndrome and how to skillfully work through it, and much more. We wanted to let our listeners know that there is a content warning for mass shootings in this podcast. We discussed this at the beginning of our podcast. We hold a moment of silence and have time to reflect. It was an honor to work with Nacia Smith and without further ado, let's get right to it. Awesome. Welcome everyone to today's webinar, The Intersection. I'm your co-host, Jacob Aqua, the Chief Mindfulness Officer of Source Wellness.
1: My name is Marshall Coop I'm the co-founder along with Jacob and CEO of Source Wellness. And thank you, everyone, so much for attending our session today.
0: Awesome. Before we get started, introduce our amazing guest, Nasi Smith. I just want to take a moment for collective silence for the tragedy that happened yesterday. We'd like to acknowledge and hold space for the 19 children and two adults that were tragically killed in the shooting at Robb Elementary School at Day, Texas. We would also like to honor the lives of the people that were lost in the tragic shooting in Buffalo, New York 10 days ago. So we're just gonna take about 60 seconds
2: now to honor and acknowledge those that were lost. Thank you. So in this moment of tragedy, we're
0: grateful to come together to acknowledge this collective trauma and engage in collective healing. And as we begin the webinar today, we are very excited to have you here. And the Inter- intersection webinar series will explore the crucial intersection of dei W discovering how diversity, equity, inclusion, mindfulness and wellness support each other and how this integrated approach provides value to our personal and systemic growth. So I just wanna introduce Nasia today. We're so thankful to have you here, Nasia. Nasia Smith is a mental health counselor with experience across various settings in educational institutions, primary care practices, psychiatric hospitals, and correctional facility facilities. She holds a broad range of clinical interests, which include shame reduction, self-esteem, self-compassion, socio, cultural, political context and mental health, destigmatization of mental health in BIPOC communities, spiritual identity exploration, racial trauma, mindfulness, and stress management. And I was very lucky to meet Nasia in a workshop that I did with Nasia. We co-led it um, that we did for our graduate program. And I immediately knew that I just feel so connected to Nasia, her presence, her amazing competence, her expertise and her kind and compassionate presence just immediately struck me. So we're so grateful to have you here today. And just also noting that our signature mindful DEI program that we're developing currently NASA has been an amazing and integral part of that development as well. Um, so, without further ado, I'm just going to open the floor to Nasia. We're just going to start with a short practice to really get into this session today. Thank you so much,
3: Jacob and Marshall. Thank you so much um, for having me here. This is, you know, I think a really important time for us to be talking about essentially the way I think about it, are ways to take care of ourselves, you know, and um, ways to think about healing um, as a community. And so one of the things that I would like to do um, is just take a moment to, and we're gonna do a mindful um, breathing practice. And so we can just start, and with this mindful breathing practice, we're gonna take a moment to give some attention to our breath. It's with us all the time, every day. And it's one of those um, parts of ourselves that we don't always pay attention to because it's involuntary and we have it, um, it sustains us. But now is an opportunity to kind of give some attention to our breathing, not trying to make ourselves breathe in any particular way. Part of the reason why we're starting out this way is to kind of inform our body and our brain that we're safe, that uh, we have the capacity to be calm. Um, We live in a world that is very um, kind of performance based. It's, you know, especially when we think about work, it's kind of this space of performance, the space of being enough, being good enough, um, about trying to figure out where do we fit in and sometimes feeling like we don't fit in. And when we do a practice like mindful breathing, it kind of puts us in a place where we can tell our amygdala and our hypothalamus, they work really closely together Our amygdala is kind of that fear-based response that we have in our brain that lets us know when we need to um, uh, survive, how we need to survive, that we need to, when we need to be afraid of something. The um, hypothalamus, I'm sorry, hippocampus, I'm sorry, is the part of our brain that keeps timestamps and says, oh yeah, I remember this feeling. I remember this situation amygdala, hippocampus, we work together and it kind of puts our body into this fight or flight mode. And those parts of our bodies were designed so that we can protect ourselves from physical threats, but we've um, evolved in most cases to a place where a lot of the threats that we experience are psychological, social threats. And so Right now, this is a time to kind of remind ourselves that we're safe. Even, th- even though we may be feeling a lot of discomfort and concern and all of those things, in this moment right now, we're safe. So we can start by settling. It's gonna take, it's gonna be about a two minutes. Start by settling into a comfortable position. You can allow your eyes to close or you can keep them open with a softened gaze whatever feels comfortable for you. I'm gonna begin by taking several long, slow, deep breaths. breathe in fully.
2: And exhale fully. Breathe in through your nose. And out through your nose or mouth at your own pace, bringing your full attention to noticing your in-breath as it enters your nostrils, travels down to your lungs. Notice each out-breath as the air moves up through your lungs, back up through your nostrils or mouth. Each in-breath and out-breath. You may experience the air as cool as it enters your nose and warm as you exhale. If you're distracted by sounds in the room, simply notice them and then bring your intention back to your breath. Observe and accept your experience in this moment without judgment. Paying attention to each inhale and exhale. Breathing in fully and exhaling fully. When you're ready, I'm gonna to start to bring our attention back to the room. You can open your eyes, and come back alert, using your breath as an anchor. All right, thank you. Awesome, thank you so much for
0: that much needed practice today. I really appreciate sure. that.
3: Sure, so. yeah.
1: It really brought to mind for me, one of my um, favorite meditation teachers, unfortunately never got to meet him, but Thich Nhat Hanh, he okay. says, and even this breath can be a cause of joy. Sure. And so I just found myself from time to time smiling, thinking about how fortunate I am to be able to take this breath and um, just really exercising that gratitude for something that is so automatic, but is still so valuable.
3: Right, right. And if I was working with a client, I would say, we'd go through this practice of inquiry and just say, what are you noticing? What was that like for you? You know, um, and sometimes we notice, oh, I was thinking about my shopping list or, and so even in those moments, just noticing that, oh, I noticed that thought. And and that was a part of the experience and not to judge it.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Wonderful, so as we continue, I just would love to outline a little bit about DEI MW to really introduce that framework. Um, So we see that DEI without mindfulness and wellness does not give practitioners the tools and the skills to really confront implicit bias or combat burnout. And also mindfulness without DEI and wellness can be used to make people simply more efficient, more like cogs in the machine at the expense of well-being and and inclusivity. And then finally, wellness without mindfulness and DEI neglects a crucial component of mind training and it could also be very white-centric as well. And with all that being said, I'd love to kind of dive a little bit deeper into your past, Nasia, some of your influences, and how your journey has led to your interests and work connected to DEIMW?
3: Yeah, well, that's such a big question, and um, let's see how let's see how I respond to that. Um, but I, I am being very intentional about trying to respond to that question. Um, well, first of all, I'll say that you know I identify. Um, as an African-American, Black, um, cisgendered woman. Um, And I think that does, that identity or that part of my identity has a lot to do with my connection to DEI in particular. I mean, those were not the terms. we were not talking so much about diversity Um, equity and inclusion so much Um, for me when I first started working um, 20 years or so ago, but um, I think we were certainly talking about diversity. And so for me, I think even that first kind of introduction to, oh, does it matter to me to work around people that remind me of myself or of my culture and I grew up in predominantly white spaces. I went to a private school. I grew up going to a private school. Um, and, you know, I think that was my first real foray into a predominantly white institutions. But I also went to like a mainly black church. So, you know, growing up and so in my parents, you know, uh, like my grandparents and my, my father in particular, they're from the South. So, you know, my folks are from North Carolina and South Carolina and, you know, in, in those instances, we were around predominantly kind of black um, spaces. And so there was always this kind of, um, there were these differences, right? So here I am with my family, my Southern family. And there I am at, you know, these kind of Northeastern, you know, predominantly white institutions where, you know, people would say, well, gosh, how come you don't need to use hairspray in your hair? Because my hair was so thick when I would do kind of like the 80s, like flared bang, I wouldn't really need to use hairspray. And that wasn't like a product that was used regularly in our home. And so oh, well, and then other questions like, well, why do you, when you get perms, why do you get perms to make your hair straight and we get perms to make our hair curly? You know, these were some of the questions that me and my classmates, the clap my classmates would ask me like as if I knew, but, you know, I think what it helped me to understand is that, oh, there's some differences here. Um, and there's this feeling of being othered in a way, um, And so, you know, having that kind of experience and being aware of some of the idiosyncrasies that come with that, which were like, oh, you know, even making assumptions, oh, they're probably gonna ask me about my hair. They're probably gonna wanna touch my hair. They're probably gonna want to, I need to talk more like them so that they can see that I'm credible or that I'm intelligent. You know, so I kind of had some of those, mo- I had those moments, you know, throughout my childhood and and also into my adulthood. And I think, you know, those are moments that helped me to understand that, Help me to think about, wow, what needs to happen so that we can kind of be different and have our unique perspectives without feeling bad or feeling shame or feeling other. Um, And so I started reading folks like, I started reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I read that even as a child, like 11, 12 years old, and was like, felt so connected, you know, to his causes, but also to that big shift that he made later on in life when he realized that, oh, like, I have different, my values have shifted. So that was one of my first kind of introductions, I guess, to a, a a person changing their value system in a really big way so that it was more inclusive and so that it was more aligned with how they were thinking at that stage of their lives. So Malcolm X is definitely an important influence for me Um, I think my relationship to spirituality is an important influence. And for me, that connects me to this experience of noticing even some of my own shortcomings and it being normalized and not this thing that I have to just feel so afraid of. It's like, no, you do have shortcomings. You do have areas that you wanna change you do have ways that you want your character to be developed so that you can essentially be a better person so that you can grow. So a lot of those concepts are kind of parts that came with me from childhood on. And I think they fit really well into this notion of diversity, equity, inclusion, mindfulness, and wellness. And so, And that, for me, it's just that having a relationship with change that supports your current values and supports your community and society um, in an important um, way. Um, And I think that's probably how I would think about that question. And it's led to the work that I'm doing now because, It provides me room to actually hear how other people might want to change. It it provides me room to think about what needs to be different in our systems um, and in the workplace so that we can acknowledge um, ways that we can grow as a a community, um, as a workplace. I I feel like I've said a lot. (laughs) I'm hoping that it's landing um. Yeah, I. You know, there's there's more to to that, but I think that's what comes to mind for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. It definitely resonates with me. Um, in that sense of you know grounding yourself in your own you know, DEIMW practice, in your own you know, spiritual practice. And really being able to hold space and be open for others in your community, the, the clients that you work with, the patients that you work with. So it is really wonderful to know a lot more about that context, that you know where your your background, where you know just more about you. So it's it's wonderful to know, and that really, that leads well into the next question of just kind of knowing more about your current work and you know, what you're most passionate about with your current work. I know there were, there's so many amazing topics that we touched on even in your bio. And I know you're such a multifaceted and wonderful person. So just touching on some of those, um, those key points, I would love to hear a little bit more about your passions.
3: Sure. I mean, I think, you know, right now, you know, I'm working as um, a clinical therapist in a university and I just have so many great opportunities to, you know, meet with really wise, you know, clients um, that are discovering, you know, parts of their identity, and that have also probably have also kind of formed values that might even be different from their own cultural upbringing. And so that experience of feeling confident to kind of differentiate from your family upbringing and and then starting to identify your own kind of culture as a person um that's been a really important part of my work is helping people to feel empowered and essentially knowing that they're enough as they are right and so um you know, to be able to work with, you know, really wise kind of brilliant um, college age kind of clients and people that are adult learners as well. And I was, you know, a um, non-traditional student. And so I can relate to that experience of being an adult and going back, going to school, and feeling even some of the that imposter syndrome, like I'm a first generation student, and so, uh, how, you know, that imposter syndrome that can come with that, and helping to remind people that if they don't know something, that it's okay. It doesn't mean you're kind of deficient in some way or that you're missing the mark. That we're all allowed to kind of grow. Um, in our knowledge, in our capabilities. Um, And so that's something that I really feel passionate about is helping people know that they have more options and that the areas that they might need, that need strengthening are not areas um, where they need to feel shame.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that idea of simply because you don't know something or simply because you don't feel necessarily ready to take on what you're taking on doesn't mean you're less than by any means it's that really resonates with me and yeah just I really appreciate that and Marshall do you have any anything you'd want to add there before I move on
1: Mm -mm. I just really love these answers Um, from your childhood I can really empathize with you know seeing the vast disparities between cultures and recognizing there's a lot here there's a lot that makes both special. There's a lot of differences. There's also a lot of similarities because um, I'm biracial. So my mom is white and dad is black. So growing up in a household that was split culturally like that. And then having two different families of my Southern black family and then um, Midwestern white family. So just recognizing all the differences and noticing that I'm still me regardless of where I am. And that's where mindfulness really came in for me while growing up and having to deal with identity, particularly race, Mm -hmm. and not judging myself when I felt too white or not black enough or Mm -hmm. not judging myself when I didn't feel white enough. Um, Just understanding that I'm me and this too shall pass, understanding and riding those waves um, that really come and go as we're trying to figure out who we are. Mm
3: -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Feeling good enough. Despite differences,
0: yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that really transitions well into Mm -hmm. you know the practice of DEIMW into the idea of how diversity, equity, inclusion, mindfulness, and wellness really intersect but also strengthen one another. And Mm -hmm. just would love to hear, Nasia, about Mm -hmm. you know, just your ideas on that and how those strengthen each other and work together?
3: Yeah, well, you know, I have to say my first, I used to think that diversity was enough, you know, growing up, you know, I used to think, I, cause I used to be so kind of aware of the fact that I was kind of one of the only, you know, people of color in a room. So I used to just think, man, if we just had more, you know, folks of color, that's what we really need. And now, you know. over time, I've realized that we need certainly equity. We need to have fair kind of distribution and access of resources and we need inclusivity. Um, and so the DEI piece for me is really something that by itself it can really be probably managed in a topical way with policies and procedures right and so you can say yes we have the people here it's diverse it's equitable because you know everyone's you know aware of the program development opportunities the EAP opportunities and it's inclusive because you know, we're making it a point to consider all of these different types of identities. But I think the mindfulness piece and the wellness piece really has to do with how we can be accountable as people within our communities and our societies. And also that mindfulness piece and wellness piece has to do with, being aware of our own shortcomings and our own biases. How are the parts of us that may be undesirable? How do those components kind of fit into the culture of our workplace? That people with different cultures and identities can feel pain around certain topics or certain dialogue that's happening in the workplace that may not be painful for us, for another person, you know, and instead of saying, oh, well, I'm not impacted by that. And I didn't mean anything by that to really say, oh, to be able to have this normalization of, oh, okay you're impacted negatively, even though it wasn't my intention, what can we do about that? And how can we take care of ourselves? So it's kind of being aware of the need for DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but also being mindful of how our inner work contributes to the lives of others, right? So we're not this kind of siloed, self that says oh i'm just going to do my own thing based on my own values and everybody else can benefit from it but it's like no i am going to do my, i am going to have my own values and i'm also going to consider the needs of others and find ways that we can kind of work together to take care of ourselves as a collective and i think that's kind of the relationship of how they can all work together kind of acknowledging the area of pain, being aware of our own aspects of our character and of ourselves, and then finding ways to kind of take the best care of ourselves by supporting each other. So it's this idea of our inner work contributes to the lives of, of others.
1: We received a question in the chat.
3: Okay.
1: Um, Stephanie asked, um, can you share a powerful example that you've seen of DEI married with mindfulness at work? And Mm -hmm. it seems like this is a great uh, place to answer that question.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Can I think about a powerful example, yeah, of how DEI um, kind of um, is married with mindfulness at work? I think one of the examples that comes to mind for me is really a time where we had to to really look at equity and what does that mean for us in the workplace. And even though it was a team where we all kind of got along, all enjoyed working with each other, some of us were feeling more overworked while others maybe didn't feel as overworked. And so to be able to talk about where that need to to kind of overwork, to be overworked came from. And so we needed to have a discussion of realizing that there were some people on the team that maybe dealt with their own experiences of imposter syndrome and felt like I need people to know that I'm I can work just as hard as anyone else I can show up and so what happened was having that conversation about really imposter syndrome how did it fit into this experience of some people feeling burnt out and feeling like they were given more responsibilities because they were asking for more responsibilities, because they thought that in order to be seen as worthy or being good enough, they needed to be overworking. So we had to have that conversation. And so then, you know, the mindfulness and wellness came where you know, as a team, we kind of talked about the importance of having boundaries and that we had to kind of learn that even though your default might not have been to set boundaries because of this drive with imposter syndrome, that you're able to kind of acknowledge how you're feeling. What are you noticing about how you're feeling? What are you noticing about how this is impacting your well-being and your wellness. And so what came of that was that people were starting to say no. So people started saying no. And managerial staff and supervisory staff started to were able to also allow people to say no without them Um, without the team or the staff feeling like they were, that their livelihood was in danger. So it kind of like was just starting to have this conversation about equity, looking at the differences between equity and diversity, understanding that some people felt that they were being treated inequitably. What was their role in that? And now what can we do differently? And so that was a really powerful experience around people noticing, um, that intersection between DEI and mindfulness and wellness and actually making some changes because of it.
1: Thank you for that. That was really powerful. And thank you for bringing so much attention to that role of awareness in the whole equation. Um, cause awareness is a crucial part of mindfulness and Um, I think people might oftentimes overlook it thinking mindfulness is kind of too nebulous or too confusing, but I think everyone knows what awareness is. Everyone knows what it means to bring attention to something. Um, So thank you for really highlighting that point.
0: Right. And once that awareness about the situation was brought to light, you know, conversations were able to be had and, you know, that that equity piece was able to more, was able to come to the forefront more readily because of that awareness, because of that, you know, bringing it out into the open. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a wonderful example. Thank you so much.
2: Sure.
0: Yeah. yeah, Stephanie, thank you so much for that question. And awesome. So kind of going into the next question, we talked a little bit about um, employees and um, just bringing my DeIMW into the workplace um, so kind of expanding on that a little bit more um, but looking more so at larger systems because sometimes the focus with DeIMW um, is hyper individualized mm-hmm. um, in some cases where you know you you touched on it very nicely with, the idea of community care, uh, the idea of bringing so that we can all work together in this process. So looking at larger systems, be they businesses or other systems, how do you see DEIMW being cultivated, being incorporated so that more meaningful and inclusive experiences can can be had by individuals?
3: I think one of the things that comes to mind for me is that very often kind of when we think about DEI in particular in the workplace, it's usually kind of a reaction to something or it's kind of built in the policies and procedures that maybe you learn during orientation or something like that. And then it kind of becomes this place where it's more like in the underpinnings, but then also reactive. And so I think that if we could start to kind of normalize um, that that, you know, the unique needs around diversity, equity, and inclusion also have an emotional component to them and a component around mental health. Right, like it's not just about kind of performance. Like, I think if we kind of acknowledge kind of DEI as part of our whole health experience and that we even have kind of moments during the week that are dedicated to, um, you know, even thinking about what does mindfulness and wellness look like for us around diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, um, when these different current events come up like that are maybe racially driven or LGBTQIA driven, you know, or just culturally different, culturally driven, do we just go to the people that maybe represent those cultures and say, well, what do you think? So I think realizing that these are kind of public health issues and not just the issues of the people that represent that particular population. I think when we can kind of acknowledge that and we can kind of normalize that, these conversations and these um, kind of this kind of concept is what's needed for us as a society. And, f- and have kind of built in opportunities to talk about DEI, to talk about where does mindfulness come in, wellness, like can we have a mindfulness wellness moment, you know, that might even uh, contribute to DEI. If we can have those kinds of moments throughout our week in the workplace and make it a part of the job, <laughs> I think it can help us to kind of normalize our discussions and see it as a public health issue that helps us to be more effective in the workplace and more, um, more of a um, healthy community, you know, as opposed to just honing in on the people that may represent different populations. Um, yeah. I think integrating it in a in a con, on a regular consistent basis.
2: Yeah,
0: definitely. And I think you touched on so many important points there. Um, that sense of not just including these important crucial, you know, aspects just because of rea- just reactionary in a mm-hmm. you know perf- more of a performative sense, but really. Integrating DEI and W, um, belonging, all of these accessibility, all of these incredible components into the you know the ethos of company culture, mm-hmm. and just like you're saying, making sure that these are things that we incorporate, talk about in mm-hmm. ways that are not just when something happens or when yeah, just when something happens, and not just going you know to to just addressing these specific communities as well, um, but really. You know making sure that we all are doing this work as well um and not placing the onus of responsibility on the communities that represent um yeah like lgbtqia um, bipoc etc so uh, communities
1: and i also wanted to touch on something that i heard in what you were saying which is kind of expanding our sense of responsibility and recognizing just because it doesn't seem to impact us directly doesn't mean that it doesn't impact us. Just -hmm. because it seems like my identity group is free from X, Y, and Z kind of oppression doesn't mean that I'm not still impacted. And I really am thankful that you brought up this kind of idea of expanding our sphere of concern almost by recognizing that this is a public health issue, Mm -hmm. by recognizing that this does Ripple into our communities and into our environments, and you know, thereby impacts our health, whether we recognize it or not.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this concept of our health and emotions and wellness you know, these are fairly newer concepts um, in Work in our work environment, right? Usually it's kind of get the job done and go home. <laughs> but I think now we're really realizing how we are impacted by it and that attending to our mind, to our wellness and our well being is also a part of being professional. Acknowledging the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion is also a part of professionalism, right? That we're not being unprofessional by you know, um, by taking a moment to kind of give attention to different parts of ourselves and, and also being kind to what we notice. Be kind to ourselves if we notice ourselves having biases. You know, be kind to ourselves when we notice that, oh gosh, someone said that they were offended by something I said and I didn't even mean it that way instead of kind of being defensive and saying, well, they're being too sensitive, right? Or they should get over it to be able to say, oh man, I didn't even realize that, right? And so, you know, Stephanie, I saw you just well-being, yeah, can have the conversations and be curious, get curious, right? About what we're noticing as opposed to kind of feeling defensive. And that's a part of professionalism too. And that's what allows us to do that inner work, is to know that that inner work is also, um, it's also professional. It's also helping us to do our jobs more thoughtfully,
2: um, you know, regardless of you know the uh, fields that we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I absolutely love that, and bringing that sense of humanity into the workplace, like you were said, this idea of you know, there wasn't there wasn't always that sense of bringing DEIMW into the workplace. These are these are relatively new ideas, um, and so really ensuring that there's a sense of humanity in our workplace, a sense of mindfulness and compassion, and yeah, you know, those quote unquote you know sticky feelings that we don't always want to um, incorporate into business are, are now just seen being seen as more essential in this in the workplace. So I, I really do think these type conversations like these are so important to really expound upon those ideas and so we can really integrate them into our daily lives, bring them into our businesses that you know, anyone listening could hopefully bring compassion, mindfulness, DEI, wellness
1: into the businesses that they work in as well. And I think it's also super important to acknowledge that when a lot of these paradigms were formed, people had to specifically go somewhere to work and then return somewhere to be at home. But Mm -hmm. as that line is being blurred between what is home, what is work, I I mean, I work from home every single day, so I need to have really clear boundaries between when am I working, when am I not working, but then I also need to have my work understand that I am a human and then take, take, take that into account and actually help me to maintain my mental health, help me to maintain the boundaries that are necessary so that I can continue to be an effective employee while continuing to be a healthy human. So as the work world is evolving, we're really seeing that these concepts are needing to evolve with it lest companies get left behind and um, productivity start to drop and overall well-being of employees start to drop as well.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah,
3: absolutely. I mean, one of the the terms that I think about around work is um, presenteeism. When we show up for work, even though we're maybe feeling sick or mentally unwell or physically unwell or just so kind of distracted. And we might just need a mental health day, but we may not feel like we are in a position to take it. And so when I think about, you know, DEI, mindfulness and wellness, I think about that piece of being aware of, you know, am am I, you know, giving yourself that permission to take care of yourself, you know, or to be able to have that conversation um, and to know that you're allowed to take care of yourself and kind of communicate. And and I think when I think about D-E-I-M-W in the workplace, I think about working with kind of supervisors, you know, managers that can actually hear, oh yeah, I just need to take some time for myself without, kind of judging or criticizing or, 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 you know, giving retribution to their employees when they need to take care of themselves. And so, you know, and with mindfulness and wellness, it gives us the tools to kind of start to develop and notice, oh, wait a minute. I actually probably need to take some time for myself this week, or I need to kind of just take this day off and and rest or whatever that looks like. Whereas we're not, traditionally we haven't had that kind of um, sensitivity. We usually would just say, hey, I'm working tomorrow. So I'm, I'm going in regardless of how I feel. And I think D I M W gives us that, the tools and in the permission.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that there's in the last several years been a, a shift in just the destigmatization of mental health as well. And, and people being more open, you know, managers, supervisors, and, you know, people definitely still, you know, presenteeism and coming to work even when really mental health or physical health day is needed. Um, but I do think it's slowly, it is shifting and hopefully we can continue to push that forward. Um, but yeah.
1: Yeah. It so. brings to mind um, how some companies give unlimited paid time off. But although they do give that unlimited paid time off, so many employees don't feel like they can take it without, you know, retribution coming back from the higher up, so to speak. So it's really interesting how a lot of companies are saying, you know, please do take this time, but if they aren't giving their employees the space to feel like they actually mean it, if they aren't giving the employees time to reflect and understand when they should be taking the time off, when it's worth to take the time off, then they're just never going to take the time off. And then that unlimited paid time off turns into something that's actually not that valuable and causes people to just push themselves even harder.
3: That's right. That's right. And, you know, that piece around I'm, I'm seeing, um, question. I don't know if you guys see that um, in the chat as well, but just I wanted to respond to this, right? That the organizational culture needs to support people taking care of themselves. And it's hard for the individual to give themselves permission if leadership is is not. That's absolutely right. Leslie, I do think that it, it can start with noticing when we need to give ourselves permission. And when we're not getting that, you know, then we can kind of make some changes about what our needs are you know, um, then also it's absolutely right. The organization, the culture does need to support people taking care of themselves. And I think it's helpful when people that are in kind of administration, those positions of leadership, are engaging in the practice of DEIMW so that it can kind of trickle down and ch- trickle throughout, you know, the workplace so that people can, you know, understand the humanity behind. You know their employees and, and behind their workspace, so that they can give a culture that uh, provide a culture that helps to support, trusting your employees and um, and helping people to kind of find the voice and set those boundaries um, in the works in the workplace. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of this dual, this kind of two pronged approach between organization and individuals to kind of have an awareness as well
0: definitely yeah and I love that focus on the organization needing to also do it as well to also be open to employees taking care of themselves as well because sometimes with these wellness programs these mindfulness programs it The systems themselves don't change, but the onus is placed on the individual employees to be well, to take care of themselves, but without the community care. And Mm -hmm. so I think what Leslie brought to attention and what you talked about so well is that that kind of both, you know, we definitely need to take care of ourselves. We need self-care. We need to, you know, really cultivate the control that we have over our own lives, but also you know, if if the culture that we're in doesn't support our well-being, then it ultimately isn't going to be as helpful. So I really appreciated that. Awesome. And then for the last 10 minutes or so, I'm just going to touch briefly on our Mindful DEO, DEI program that will be available in August. And then we can have a few minutes to um, have a little bit more Q&A as we wrap up. So The program will help teams understand and embody key concepts of DEI, mindfulness, self-care, and well-being, gives voice to and highlights multiple underrepresented voices and perspectives, promotes the modeling of essential inclusionary workplace practices such as empathy and compassion, and reduces workplace stress and emotional reactivity. There will be a few different models for this program, where we'll be able to have cohort models of twenty people, with you know eight sessions, two-hour sessions. There'll be an option for webinars, so that you'll be able to have eight sessions for an hour, and then there's the option for um, more, more videos. Uh, so just basically shorter videos that will contain the content and the practices. Um, So those three options for this program, and it'll be ready in August. We are diligently working on it. NASIA has been a major part of that. So we're very excited for the Mindful DEI program that is available in August. So a little bit about that, and now just love to field any questions um, from the group. So if you'd like to type your answer in the Q&A section, we'd love to hear any more questions. Um, Stephanie asked a question earlier as well. Um before going back to that topic, I would love to see if there are any topics as
2: well that we'd like to touch on that are, that are new And you know, I'd also like to say a bit more about the mindful
1: DEI program that we're working on right now. And um, it's just been a really incredible experience to work on it with the team that we've assembled for it, um, bringing together subject matter experts with just such, you know, deep expertise in these fields. Uh, really stimulating my thoughts on this topic, really helping me to expand my horizons and um, really overall making me a better person in the process. And I'm just really thankful to be able to be here to take part in developing this program. And I'm really excited to see the kinds of impacts that it can have when we do take it out to organizations and when we do bring it to individuals. One of the things that we're very proud of is the um, surveys and metrics that will be accumulating along the way so that we can prove that people are or are not being impacted by these sessions. And then as we're able to gather more and more of this data, gather more and more of this information, we can just continue to streamline and improve so that the sessions can be ultimately as impactful as possible. So we're really looking at this as a long-term vision of how can we create something that's going to help as many people
2: as possible for as long a period of time as possible. Wonderful, thank you so much for
0: talking more about our Mindful DEI program. We're all very, very excited about it and awesome. Yeah, I would love to see if there are any questions, um, any more questions here. So kind of circling back to one of Stephanie's questions that she asked a little bit earlier um, about DEI being married with mindfulness at work. There's a follow-up question where Stephanie said, were the people who weren't doing as much empowered by other people saying no? In other words, was there a more even distribution of work amongst the team? Were there people who wanted to do more but felt overpowered by those taking on the heavy load? So a few questions there and love to hear from
2: you mm-hmm.
3: want to hear. Sure, Stephanie, thank you for asking that question. You know, I think these are a lot of the concepts that come up when we think about setting boundaries, you know, especially in the workplace, like, am I safe to kind of do this? Um, how is this gonna impact the team? And, and in this particular situation, um, there definitely were people that I would say were empowered by other people saying no, because it was like, oh, I didn't really know that I could say no to that, right? Because these kind of suggestions or, or responsibilities can be given to us in a way that is very, um, you know, that's that can carry this weight. And so I will say too that sometimes the boundaries weren't always about saying no. Sometimes it was, you know, I can work on this, but let me just finish this piece first. Um, and sometimes it was, I'm feeling like there's kind of a dilemma about how I can work on this particular thing. Can we kind of talk together about how to get this done? So I think initially, you know, when the um, reactions to workplace demands were kind of powered by imposter syndrome, it was like, okay, I'll do it. You know, it was a kind of this culture of, okay, I'll do it. I have to work late. Okay, fine but there wasn't a lot of kind of discussion around it. And so then we had that, that um, conversation around equity and kind of what it meant to all of us and how we thought it you know, was distributed throughout our workplace. And we were actually able to, to talk more about it. Um, and I think ultimately there was a more even distribution. I mean, there were times where maybe some folks felt like they were doing more than others. And sometimes that needed to be a time to have a conversation. There was kind of this evolving process that was happening. Um, were the people who felt overpa- overpowered by those taking on the heavy load? I, I don't know if overpowered is the word, but I will say I think some people's voices were kind of, um, they f- maybe felt hushed, you know, felt like they didn't have a voice. And so this kind of discussion around equity provided some space for some folks to have a voice. And so it's definitely a process, but I think within systems, actually looking at those terms and kind of breaking them down and talk about, well, what does diversity mean for us? You know, what does equity mean? What does inclusivity mean? And it may, it may be also having those conversations. What does mindfulness look like for, for me? What does wellness look like? Having those conversations at different points in different ways, throughout your time at the workspace, not just during orientation, not just when there's a crisis, but just kind of starting to normalize those discussions, I think is what can help to support is this organizational culture meeting our needs? Does this culture have the capacity to meet our needs? And if it does, okay, great. If it doesn't, what needs to be different? So that's kind of what I think about in terms of how we can operationalize and think about
2: DEIMW.
0: Wonderful. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I think this could be a perfect place to slowly wind down. Um, I really appreciate all the questions. I deeply appreciate Nasia being with us today, Marshall for being here to co host. Um, Our first intersection, what is D-E-I-M-W podcast today, or podcast webinar today, has been wonderful. And it's just been a really eye-opening experience for me just to continue to cultivate these ideas as well. Um, Thank you all so much for attending. We really appreciate having you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Intersection Podcast, and we appreciate your interest in learning more about DEIMW. Our intention with this series is to spread awareness and to highlight the crucial intersection between diversity, equity, inclusion, mindfulness, and wellness. We hope that raising awareness will drive more organizations to prioritize the well-being of their employees.
1: For more information on how you and your organization can partner with Source Wellness, to introduce programming and strategic culture consulting, visit the links in our podcast description. In the description, you will find links to our website, LinkedIn, and Instagram. On our website, you can book a free discovery session to learn how source wellness can provide value to your organization. Thank you for listening, and until next time.